and they run through our ass like shit through a tin horn, man, and we could not stop them. It's ridiculous that they do it. That was a huge calling. Well, we didn't miss it. You know, the typical rah, 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 zip, boom, bye, boom. You don't cuss. You don't drink. So what are your vices? I have been known to, uh, to chew a bit of tobacco when I get a little tired or watching film. Hey, I'm Coach O. I just love my Hummer. I have my Hummer. You need a Hummer. Tell them about it, JoJo. They've won the biggest championship, and that's a championship of life. Gap control. Everybody just do your job. You understand that? Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? Hey, buddy, how are you? Hey, doing great, Shane. We got a lot to get into. It's been a week since we've put out a podcast, so uh, let's just jump right into it. Before we go around the league, Shane, coaches reading mean tweets. I got to preface this by saying these are not that mean. I get meaner tweets than this blowing (laughs) me up every day. I still thought this was pretty funny. This is uh, several SEC coaches, Dabo Sweeney, Mac Brown. They're all in here. And, and what this was from was Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl Celebrity Golf Tournament that they have annually. Uh, I just thought this was kind of a fun little note to start the podcast on. Let's do it. Dabo Sweeney looks like the kind of guy that would take church slow-pitch softball way too seriously. You best believe it. We're, we're playing to win, period, any league. Am I the only one that thinks Gus Malzahn looks like Larry, the Dr. Pepper guy? Don't think so. Dan Mullen looks like he puts his shirts on with the hangers still in them. Mac Brown looks like a presidential candidate I would not vote for. Well, that's not going to be a problem because he's not going to be a presidential candidate. <laughs> Urban Meyer is a kind of guy that takes 22 items to the 10 item or a less checkout, of course. Matt Luke looks like a character in a Tim McGraw song. Roy Williams still be wearing them pinstripe suits like it's 1998. Hey, I'll be 98 wearing those suits, I'll be happy. <laughs> Dabo Sweeney looks like the type of guy to speak in a British accent when he goes to Outback Steakhouse. You don't say, mate. Dan Mullen looks like he's the manager of a grocery store. I'd hope that'd be Publix. Roy Williams strikes me as the kind of guy who just bites right down on string cheese and steal a pit. What the hell is string cheese? <laughs> Matt Luke pours milk in the bowl before the cereal. Mac Brown looks like he smells of mahogany and brisket. I just came from Texas, so there's a lot of brisket. I can buy so. the brisket. I don't <laughs> yeah. know what you eat mahogany, <laughs> though. Gus Malzahn looks like the type of guy that thinks Applebee's is the pinnacle of fine dining. There may be some truth to that. All right, Chase. So which, <laughs> which, I don't know which one of these is my favorite. Probably... Matt Luke pouring the milk into the cereal before he puts in the damn cereal. What about you? <laughs> Mine was Dabo taking softball, a church softball game, <laughs> a little too serious. I just could see that, man. He's got it written all over him, and he didn't, he didn't deny it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think these guys are – you see what I'm saying, though? Not nearly as mean as some of the stuff we see on Twitter. I understand that I had to kind of censor this, but – I would really like to have seen this unfiltered. How about you? Oh, Lord, yeah. I mean, 10-second Google search, you can find a lot of stuff on Gus there. He, <laughs> you know, They would have been roasting him, man. <laughs> it's called Danny Sheridan. <laughs> oh, we will in just a minute, Shane. And uh, let's start right there. Let's go around the league. Let's do it. Now let's go around the league. Around the league. 
We hadn't decided how we're going to play the guys, so and I wouldn't tell you if I did. So, you know, I don't mind you asking a question, but I don't need to answer it. No, I mean, I'll be whistling Rocky Top by the end of the week. All our play. I mean, it's just like, right? I mean, just hear it over and over, and you know, like every other, every third song, it'll roll through within the crowd noise that we play at practice. So you just uh, you get used to it. It's, it's a catchy tune, right? I mean, this game's gonna be a street fight. This game's gonna be a street fight. I mean, some of you guys don't know who Kimbo Slice is. Hopefully you do. Um, and you go back to it, man, this isn't a sanctioned fight. This is a street fight. I mean, this is the SEC. So, man, it's time. It's time to put on the hard hat. Launch bail, let's get to work. All right, Shane, starting on the planes. War damn eagle. We kind of teased it there with the Danny Sheridan reference but before we get into that kind of the reason this is kind of all bubbling up obviously uh, in the last week here Auburn has narrowed down the quarterback race to the two guys that uh, you and I have both said we thought it would be the redshirt freshman Joey Gatewood who we got to see a little bit of last season particularly in that bowl game and then the true freshman Bo Nix who uh, he I believe is an Under Armour All-American five-star recruit obviously an Auburn legacy no surprise from us, but uh, are you still in the Gatewood camp that uh, you think he's going to be the starter when Auburn has to face Oregon on a neutral field in Arlington? You know, Mike, I am on the Gatewood camp. It's just, it really depends on the heat, in my opinion. Uh, the more heat Gus has, the quicker I think we see Bo. Uh, but I really think that he wants to come out with Gatewood first, just my honest opinion. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I kind of think it's going to be Bo Nix. But at this point, that's just a complete guess. Uh, obviously, Gatewood probably fits a little bit better what they truly want to run there at Auburn. But just based on everything I've seen of Bo Nix, everything I've heard, I mean, this is—I uh, mean, this could be their Jake Fromm-type mm -hmm. quarterback. Now, like you said, they've got an incredible tough schedule. They open against Oregon. You can't have a true freshman out there that's not ready. But it, it just seems like more often – than ever I mean these two freshmen are ready to play big-time college football so I'm not ready to rule that out and I'm also not ready to rule out that uh, whoever starts I'm not sure that's even really that important I think both these guys are probably going to play early in the season once they get into SEC play they'll probably have it scaled back to one guy but um, it could you see Auburn rolling both these guys out at, to start the season I wouldn't rule it out uh, just to see how Bo does under pressure, just because, you know, something we've discussed before, you know, a lot of quarterbacks are great in practice. And this is, you know, they're going to have a couple games, a couple scrimmages that they can go off of. Mm -hmm. But until those lots are on, you're not going to really know what you have. So with these two guys, unproven, untested, I think there's a good shot that you're going to see both of them play early. All right, Shane, so we kind of teased it there. Let's start with the Danny Sheridan comments because these came out first. And this was on the Paul Feinbaum show, so we're going to give them credit here. Uh, but old Danny, the you know famous odds maker there for USA Today, he, on one of his recent appearances on the Paul Feinbaum show, was kind of asked about Auburn in the upcoming season. And, uh, you know, how he says this is comments from coaches he's spoken to, so it's not like he's specifically calling out Gus Malzahn, but uh, I thought these comments were pretty damning. Uh, let's listen here. This is not... I don't disagree, but this is not my opinion. Head coaches I've talked to said that he runs a high school offense, too simple for college, not complex. 
He can't develop a quarterback. I agree wholeheartedly with that. He's got to go to the junior college ranks, Cam Newton, Nick Marshall, or the Baylor transfer, Jared Stidham. Stidham was pretty decent the first year, and he really digressed last year with that good defense, with that great offensive line, with good running backs, great receivers. And I wonder why he digressed. I put it on the coach. And that BS that he's going to take over the offense this year, according to the coaches and players that I've talked to, Malzahn has always run that offense. He's always called the plays. And it's not going to be a new offense this year. It's going to be the same one that he's always run. Now, granted, they've got a gifted quarterback for the first time that he possibly could develop in Bo Nix. And they've got a few others with potential. But I say they figure to be lost under Malzahn's coaching this year, like they've always been, and we'll see what happens. I don't wish him any harm. I think it's great that he has that contract, and nobody in their right mind would give a coach that's average losing five games a year for the last five years a contract like that. But that's what happens when presidents get out of their territory and decide to negotiate contracts. All right, Shane. I mean, I can't really argue with much he has to say there, can you? Mike, been saying it for weeks, brother. (laughs) (laughs) I've been tweeting back and forth with him. Uh, We're in the same camp. I just, uh, you know, Gus is not a quarterback whisperer. To think he's going to take one of these young guys in the offseason and and create uh, another Cam Newton is crazy talk. You know, uh, he does well with the juniors, junior colleges, bringing those guys in. But Mm -hmm. like he pointed out, name the last quarterback that he's actually made better. Uh, you know, I mean, a lot of people coming out talking about Stenham losing draft stock just because of Gus's offense. And and he's quick to point out that, you know, this is a, a high school style quarter or high school style uh, coaching scheme. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are are hanging their hat on, on Gus doing all the play calling when we were complaining about him last year, filtering the offense. So, yeah, I'm with Danny here. I just I think this is going to be. Now, I know you're a bigger fan of Auburn than I am. Mm-hmm. I just think that, yes, they've got a really good defense, but that offense is going to struggle. All right, Shane, so what I've done here, I've looked up the list of all the quarterbacks Auburn has signed under Gus Malzahn, and I'm just going to read them off. By all means, stop me when I say a name that you think uh, has really, Gus Malzahn and his system has, has really elevated here. Starting with Kyle Frazier. Zeke Pike, Jonathan Wallace, Jeremy Johnson, Sean White, Tyler Queen, Woody Barrett, John Franklin III, Jarrett Stidham, Joey Gatewood, and Bo Nix. I mean, that's the entire list there. Now, they also got Cord Sandberg. You know, he was the former minor league baseball player, so I guess you could add him in there. Uh, Now, these are the... The guys he signed since Gus became head coach, uh, obviously everyone points to Cam Newton, but uh, he was signed when Gus was the offensive coordinator. And Nick Marshall's former defensive back, another Juco transfer. So I, I just think that everyone, obviously Cam Newton's a transcendent player, but and he did go number one overall, so you got to give Malzahn some credit for that. You, you certainly just can't completely overlook that, but... I think we're having a little bit of revisionist history there because I I recall when Auburn, or excuse me, when Cam Newton went in the NFL, most people th- thought he could not make it as a passer in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Now he came out and he was amazing from th- 
the first game, from what I recall. So, uh, but and then and I think so many people got hyped on the fact that Nick Marshall was a freaking defensive back at Georgia, and Gus Malzahn did do wonders for him. And then well, that's when he got that quarterback guru label, and then he's just he's literally never done it since that time. Well, and two back to Cam. Uh, you know, I wasn't a huge follower of Cam. I wish I had him on my fantasy team his rookie year, but you know, he he did a majority of that with his legs. You know, just being a I mean, he's a big body mobile quarterback, and he has developed his pass over the years. He's just had not had a lot of talent and and some people are starting to question even his ability at the next level. So I don't know. I, I, I just – you went through that list. I knew half those names, and none of them stood out to me as a fantastic quarterback, and especially with uh, Gus at the helm. I mean, that's a lot of players coming and, and, through. And a lot of these guys are four stars, elite 11 yeah. prospects. I mean, these are not walk-ons. I mean, I legitimately went down the list here, so – um, and maybe he can't scout the talent. I mean, think about that. You know, we, one of the guys he picked up was that dude from Florida State, Last Chance You guy. Mm-hmm, John Franklin. You know, I mean, golly, watch two episodes of Last Chance You. You know, you don't need him on your team. So it's just, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's a, maybe it has something to do with the recruiting. You know, maybe it's just recruiting the stars. Uh, but I really do think, I mean, I'm hearing a lot of good things about Bo, and this is probably one of the best quarterbacks to come through there. It's just, how how much rope are they going to give Gus? I, I just, I don't see it. I, I really do think this is his last year, man. Now, we wanted to have those Danny Sheridan comments in there because we also got these Mike Lombardi comments from his new podcast, The GM Shuffle. Anyone that doesn't know Mike Lombardi's former uh, NFL executive with the Cleveland Browns, the New England Patriots, uh, uh, several others. Uh, He's worked in the NFL since the 80s. I know he's done a lot of media. He's been doing media for about nine years, I think. I think he actually went back to the Patriots during that nine years between now and then, but now he's back in the media. So, uh, but... I wrote an article about this because I, I was kind of the first person to stumble on on these comments, put them up on Saturday Down South. They kind of went viral. I appreciate all the uh, Alabama radio stations reading my article without mentioning my name or the <laughs> website I work for, but that's fine. <laughs> that's uh, why I don't write, Mike, you know? <laughs> 140 but, characters. If they can't retweet it, you know? But Mike Lombardi, not only did he go in on uh, Auburn's offense, which, which he called the worst in football, basically, I uh, really went in on Gus Malzahn here, so I, I just thought it was important that we got two different people that are totally unrelated basically saying the same thing. You know, I mean, look, I think this draft's going to come down to, you know, Jarrett Stidham, the kid from Auburn, who really... Again, good pick for the Patriots. I mean, look, here's this kid, okay? He's a five-star, four-star kid at Baylor with Art, Art Riles. Yep. Okay? And they have the, the absolute fiasco that happens there. Mm-hmm. And then he decides to leave Baylor and goes to Auburn. Now, really, if the kid was smart... He would have stayed at Baylor with Matt Rule. Because if he plays it with Matt Rule at Baylor, he's probably going to throw. He might have been a first or second round pick. He's easily better than Daniel Jones if he plays in an offense that would have highlighted what he could do. That offense at Auburn, I'm not sure what the hell it is. They run power, (laughs) they run unbalanced. You know, Mel, I mean, I see, my man gave up his, really disappointed me too. Gus Malzone gave up a sweater vest. Really disappointed me. You know, like, I'm not watching you, Gus, if you don't have the sweater vest. Iron Ball, not the same ever since he tried to change his look. Yeah, I mean, seriously, you're a sweater vest guy. Get the sweater vest on. (laughs) But anyway, that offense, seriously, this might be one of the worst offenses in football. And so you can't evaluate a quarterback in it. 
or you can't they can't train a quarterback there that's the other thing you can't train them yeah all right Shane. so i mean yeah i mean those mm. comments are even more damning um and i just <laughs> i don't understand why so so many people are taken aback by these i think stidham certainly hurt his stock at auburn i thought it was incredible you know some people thought he was like a first round pick last year and maybe he would have been but he certainly wasn't this year he, this was a, a very bad year for him I think in any other situation he would have came back. Now I should mention on these Lombardi comments. Obviously he's not, you know, a super college guy. He's an NFL guy, because his comments there about Baylor and playing for Matt Rule. While I tend to agree with that, Stidham, I don't think he would have any idea Matt Rule would have been his coach because uh, if you recall Art Briles when he got dismissed, whatever, they named an interim coach and it was that former Wake Forest guy. Mm-hmm. And they went through basically a lame duck season before Matt Rule got in there. So there's no way Jarrett Stidham would have known that Matt Rule would have been the coach. So we got to make that comment as well. But um, outside of that, I, I wouldn't say Gus Malzahn's running the worst offensive football. I think that's super <laughs> harsh. But I do think it's more of a high schoolish offense that uh, if they don't have the right pieces, I, it just doesn't work in my my opinion. It hasn't worked, Mike. I mean, he hasn't won, what, five – he's lost five games the last four years or something like that. Is that what they said? I I mean, I don't have his numbers up in front of me. Yeah, I mean, I believe he's only beaten Alabama and Georgia once in five years. Six six years, something like that. That's your two rivals. Mike, this is the University of Auburn. How long are they going to tolerate that? So – this is where this is where the uh, headlines for media days start getting formed right here, Mike, and and it's really I mean I love what they tried to do, uh, you know, creating that show, um, you know, having a lot of these guys come out. I, I really think that the players have bought in to what's going on down there, which is great. But I, I tell you, man, media is coming and they're coming hard, man. And when uh, media days hit. That all we're going to be talking about is that hot seat, man. Mm-hmm. And, you know, final thing, because I'm not trying to crap on Auburn here. I think this kind of just goes to show what a hell of a defensive coordinator Kevin Steele has been for them. Uh, I think they're going to have the best defensive line in the SEC. That's why I'm, I'm kind of high on Auburn coming into the year. Um, they've got some great receivers. So it's definitely – it's not doom and gloom for me, but – I don't know if he can't get something out of Joey Gatewood and Bo Nix, two talented guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, this this criticism is just going to get louder. I don't know. I don't know how long you give him to get get these guys ready. Do you think? Let's just, let's just talk hypotheticals here. If Gus was to get fired halfway through the season, do you think Steele's the guy? Do you think they promote him? Uh, yeah, I think they would, but uh, I don't but know. You- I don't, I just don't know that. <laughs> I don't know why you would fire a guy halfway through the year before you get to Georgia and Alabama. I think that's kind of how you get judged at Auburn. So I just – I don't think that firing a guy in the middle of the year is going to help you beat those teams, you know? Yeah. I don't think they would. I really do. I think, you know, seeing those guys on the on the uh, schedule, they probably just keep them on. But, I, I mean, again, I'm, I'm as bad as I am on Auburn, I'm not, I don't want to bury them just yet. You know, I really think – like I said, I, I like a couple of things that I'm seeing coming from the team itself, you know, just – the players buying in and and this is something we've seen with other teams in the past and and it shows up on the field so I, again i don't want to bury him i do want to see how this quarterback thing rolls out uh, i think we're going to see both of them early but they're going to have to change some things they're going to have to cater that offense to whoever they got in there and um because they do got a decent defense if if not one of the best defense in the sec if you ask me all right shane let's jump to florida 
We've got some news here in Gainesville. So we had quite a bit pop up since the last time we recorded. I thought the best thing, I mean, this <laughs> is just peak off season, Florida, Georgia. I mean, they are really at each other's throats, and I mean, I'm loving it. I mean, it's get it's helping me get through this this long off season. But the number fourteen thousand started trending the other day on Twitter. Shay, did you see this? I did, and I had to Google it to find out what it meant. <laughs> <laughs> well, for anyone that had missed it, uh, obviously Georgia has not won a national championship since mm. January first, nineteen eighty one. It was the 1980 season, obviously, and that was exactly 14,000 days ago. I believe that was on Thursday that that was coming out. So we're we're a little bit beyond 14,000 at this point. But, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) how incredible is it that, uh, I mean, I'm not trying to trash the Gators at all, but, you know, Florida, or excuse me, Georgia has controlled that game the last two years, but... uh, Florida's still talking up a big game. They, you got to give them credit for that. You know, this is college football, and this is what I love. And this rivalry is is just getting, it's getting nasty, and I love it because when these guys meet down there on the on the state line to play their world's largest cocktail party, I mean, this thing is going to be electric. I think they're both going to have the hell. They may both be undefeated when they play this thing. So, um, I like the shots getting in their head. But again, yeah, I mean, you are, I mean, this is Georgia, you know, this is something, <laughs> this is somebody poking that, the bear, Shane. I'm telling you, this is a big ass bear and didn't have any problems with you last year. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I would be a little, I don't know, man, have fun. Let, let them, let them do it. I, I think it's great. Uh, make this rivalry even more exciting. So, um, nah, go with it. I, I like it the more. I think about it. Yeah, I mean, this is just what makes college football so great. Obviously, you only get to face your rival once a year, unless there's you know some kind of strange scenario where you face them in the bowl game or a, a mm-hmm. conference championship game. So, I Mike, let me ask you this: Do you got the schedules in front of you? I'm just curious. Prior to this game, mm-hmm. um, who these guys are playing? Because I mean, they, this they is... always get a bye week, so they so they oh, get man, they get two weeks to prepare always for this one. Well played. All right, never mind. I was just thinking maybe there's a sneaky trap game in there, but uh, uh, they got two weeks to prepare prepare for this battle, and I think it's going to be a battle. When what when is this game exactly? Uh, Saturday, November second. Okay. Well, I hope they're undefeated by the. Well, well, never mind. Cancel that. <laughs> Tissy, I hope they all have one loss. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Okay, man. I was just curious. So beyond that, Shane, big news out of Gainesville. Freshman quarterback Jalen Jones in the transfer portal. Mm -hmm. And it sounded like this was a mutual thing. And it was a day later we found out that Jones accused of sexual assault down there in Gainesville. So it was an ugly situation. Uh, Virginia native. I believe this guy's – What's that? Two sexual assaults within 30 minutes apart. I read up a little bit on this. Ugh. This guy, yeah, apparently he, uh, you know, I don't want to read the nasty details, but there was some there was some bad events. It, it moved down the uh, the hall, I guess, to the kitchen, and there was another female that got assaulted. And they're not pressing charges, but this is something they knew a week prior to the spring game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you remember, this is the guy that claimed. He was gonna. He was wanting to be the next Tim Tebow, and then put a statue out in front of the stadium for him. I don't know if you remember that. 
But the only thing they put in front of the stadium, Mike, is more security to keep this sick bastard out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he's gone. And, yeah, he's gone. You know, I hope I hope that, uh, you know, he's innocent. No one got hurt, but uh, it does not appear to be the case. But either way, he's sounds like he will not be returning. Uh, so that's – I don't think that really hurts Florida for the upcoming season. And if, if anything else – I mean, I know they have a commitment already in the 2020 class, I believe, from Anthony Richardson, who's a rising prospect. So not sure that uh, they may have to look for another guy just for some added depth. But uh, they got Felipe Franks, who's only a junior. They got Trask. They got Emory Jones. So they're they're pretty fine at that position. That's actually a, a you know a, a, an ideal depth chart in today's college football where, where these quarterbacks just transfer on a whim. Uh, but that that's an ugly situation and potentially even uglier for Dan Mullen here, Shane. I just thought this was this was some interesting news. Demarcus Bowman, five-star running back from Lakeland. That's a pipeline for the Gators. I mean, they landed three guys off this Lakeland team last year. He has committed to Clemson. He's a number one overall recruit from the state of Florida, number one running back. And this, I mean, this is the, a true knock on Dan Mullen. And even Gator fans will mostly for the most part admit that uh, Dan Mullen not the most elite recruiter particularly when you you know look at his classes compared to Kirby Smart and Nick Saban and, and I mean these are the coaches he's going to be judged on uh, how how big of a loss is this Shane for the state's top player and, and Florida's number one target in the Sunshine State letting him get away to Clemson that sucks Mark I mean that's a big hit but Hell, everybody's losing somebody to Clemson. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, they, they got a damn juggernaut going on down over there. So, um, by chance, you, I think I saw a tweet from you earlier talking about this class. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's unreal. Like, the positions and the guards. I think they got like – I think they got like 10, 15 – yeah, I'll, I'll read that players. over real here. They got the obviously got the number one running back. I just mentioned that. They got the number one quarterback – the number one safety, the number one defensive tackle, the number two defensive tackle, the number three defensive tackle, and the number three corner. And I believe they're about to land the number two defensive end. Oh, like, oh this reminds me of EA Sports, man. You know, you're <laughs> building those pipelines. <laughs> uh, the, the nice thing is, you know, Florida doesn't play Clemson. I mean, if you want to pick the positive out of the negative there. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's just – I don't know. I don't think you can fault. I don't think you can fault Dan. Can you? I mean, Dabo and them have got. They're working on something. I mean, this is a this is a class unlike any class I've ever seen. And do you blame the number one running back wanting to be a part of that, coming off a national championship, mm-hmm. playing? You know, a bunch of scrubs until you get to a national championship game. I mean, yeah, no, I certainly don't blame him. But I just think the key point for me is. This has got to stop if Florida wants to win a national championship. Now, not completely. Yeah. They're not going to get everybody, but they've got to start getting some of their top guys in the state of Florida. Not saying that they have. I mean, they finished number 10 in recruiting, but number 10, there's a large gap between Georgia and Alabama right now and number 10. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, that's just yeah. the fact. So they've got to turn that around at some point. And, hell, Shane, another 10 or 11 win season will probably do that, but – um, a lot of times it starts with recruiting. It seems like Florida's got to do it at the opposite where they're, they're winning on the field and they hope that translates to recruiting, and I'm, I'm sure it will. But 
Uh, the, I, I just think this trend has got to end if the Gators are, are going to be back to national prominence. Yeah, I think if you're if you're not an ace recruiter, the best way to recruit is winning, mm-hmm. and you know beating a team like Georgia, uh, competing for an SEC championship, maybe even a playoff spot. That's how you get those those elite prospects to your school because, I mean, they're seeing you on a national stage and you got kids going to the draft. So, uh, yeah, Florida. I mean, Florida's done it in the past. Uh, obviously, it hasn't been fourteen thousand days since they did it last. So uh, I I think a couple of good upsets this year, I I think they're right in it, man. I I wouldn't get discouraged. I mean, it's a long ways to National Signing Day. All right, Shane, sticking in the SEC East, let's just go to Georgia. We were kind of talking with them a little bit. Jump down to Athens. Oh, dog, sick him! And the big news here on Monday, Georgia has announced a home-and-home with Oklahoma, Shane. So this is a little bit yeah. of an odd one because there's an eight-year gap between these two. So <laughs> they may not even have the same head coaches between the first one and the second one. But first one will be in Oklahoma in 2023, so not too far away. But then the return trip, Oklahoma comes to to Georgia excuse me, in 2031. And this is just continues the trend, Shane. I'm, I'm going to read you a list here of – some of the bigger non-conference games that Georgia has coming up. Obviously, they've got the home game against Notre Dame this season. Uh, the following season, they play Virginia. That'll be in Atlanta. Uh, two seasons away, they got Oregon in Atlanta. And then 2023, that'll be the at Oklahoma game. The following season, they'll have Clemson in Atlanta. And then the next season, they go to UCLA. The, the next season, they host UCLA. And then they go to Florida State. The next season, they go to Texas and host Florida State. Mm. The next season, they host Texas and they go to Clemson. (laughs) (laughs) And then they rotate Clemson, Oklahoma, Clemson, and then at Clemson. So, I mean, they are just loading up here on the non-conference. And uh, particularly these home-and-homes, you've got to love them, don't you? Oh, yeah. And again, going back to Florida, this is how you become relevant, scheduling teams like this. Uh, you know, you, you, I mean, these are powerhouses. These are guys that are typically on the top. So Oklahoma, I guarantee is going to give you a hell of a ball game here in four years, just because they're predominantly on the top. So, mm-hmm. uh, I love it. I love it, Mike. I think, I think you got to be excited if you're a Georgia fan, especially with everything, the way it's going. I, I think, I mean, you've made it, son. Uh, just got to put a, put together a couple games there at the end of the year and you're playing for a national championship. Yeah, and I had someone ask me this on Twitter, Shane, so I want to throw it at you because they were noting that, hey, this is great, and if I'm a Georgia fan, I like seeing one of these teams come to Athens or I like the poss- possibility of traveling to one of these games, these you know, mm-hmm. at UCLA, at Texas, at Florida State, what have you. But what's the value of that if you – if you know, would you rather have a bunch of cupcakes and guarantee you, you know, a better rank or a better uh, record – but my, I throw that back as such, you know, imagine if Georgia were to lose to any of these teams, any of these years, given years, but they turn around and they win the SEC, they're going to the college football playoff. Yep. So it doesn't hurt you. Now, let's flip it this way. Let's just say this 2029 season where they play Texas and at Clemson. Let's say Georgia wins both of those. But for some reason, they don't win the SEC. Maybe they finish, you know, second to a really hot 
Tennessee or Florida or South Carolina or what have you, I think beating these two great teams, maybe that gets you in the playoff. And That's by, a good point. And by then, the playoff may even be eight teams. So if you're if you're looking at it, you're like, my God, Georgia didn't win the SEC, but the number one team in the nation did, and they beat the number six team and the number four team at a conference. I mean, that's that's going to be a hell of a resume. And two, I've heard rumors that that's kind of their mentality when they're scheduling these games. They're banking on an eighteen playoff or more more. Uh, Let's see, more strength of schedule, you mm-hmm. know. Maybe that is a consideration for getting in just, you know, who you've been playing and, and the, the caliber of opponent. So, I, I mean, this is what I like. I like It's proactive thinking and instead of, you know, other teams doing these cupcake games that are just going to hurt them in the long run. Yeah, and I don't – I didn't hear a lot of people saying that Georgia's non-conference last year kept them out of the playoff. But there's a chance it did, Shane, because here's their non-conference teams from last year. Austin P, Middle Tennessee, UMass, and Georgia mm-hmm. Tech. And these were all at home. And, of course, they lost to Alabama in a nail-biter. But, it, you know, Alabama was number one all year long. And, and, I mean, they basically had them for three and a half quarters. So, if Clemson, maybe that's a poor example. But, but imagine, Oklahoma? Yeah. They could have beat Oklahoma. If they would have beat Oklahoma or, or maybe uh, – Florida State may be another bad example because they're they're not good last year, but USC or something like that. Mm-hmm. May, it's just an extra game like that may have been enough to push Georgia into that playoff last year. And I think them getting left out, I think that they, that really kind of burned them. And I think that certainly is playing a motivation of why they're getting so um, heavy with the strength of schedule here. That's a great point, Mike. I mean, hell, think about it. If you had Notre Dame this year, mm-hmm. uh, they definitely would have beat them. Right. And, and then Notre Dame got hot there at the end. That just makes Georgia look better. So, yeah, they would have been in the – they easily would have been in the playoffs last year. Uh, one other thing here on Georgia, I just thought this was pretty cool, Shane. So they are going to rename the field Vince Dooley Field. And, of course, you know, obviously the all-time winningest coach there in Athens, coached from 1964 to 1988, won 201 games. Uh, no Georgia coach has ever won that that many. He's won six SEC championships and the 1980 National Championship. And they're going to debut that in the 2019 uh, season opener there. So um, I think that's a that's an honor that's well-deserved. Yeah. That, you know, That's I, fantastic, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you get a chance, uh, there is a, um, I don't, I'll put the link on the, uh, on the Reddit page, but there is a uh, YouTube video and there's a couple of them. I think it was like two, two episodes. Mm -hmm. And this gentleman goes to Dooley's house and, and just gets the history, you know, from when he started playing to when he started coaching. It's just, it's just fantastic, you know. Uh, just how he developed the University of Georgia. So if you ever get a chance, history's important, guys and girls. You should, you, you definitely need to check this out. It's worth the, it's worth the listen. Yeah, and I think that's part of the reason why college football, and particularly the SEC, is is so awesome because we they honor the tradition so much. So uh, mm-hmm. this is a well deserved honor, and uh, just glad to see it. Absolutely. All right, Shane. Sticking in the SEC East, let's jump to Knoxville. Oh, Jeremy Pruitt, Shane, he actually said something that was worth noting here. I couldn't believe it when I heard this, but uh, <laughs> he was on a local Knoxville radio station, the Eric Ainge Show out of uh, 
WNML. That's where he works. And they had old Pruitt on the phone here for a guest segment. And, uh, you know, he rattled on like he usually does about nothing. But then he was asked about DeAndre Baker and just kind of discovering him. And for anyone that does not know DeAndre Baker's story, you know, he was a three-star recruit. Um, I think there was a time where he just was not really heavily recruited at all. And uh, let Jeremy Pruitt take it from here. That's just on his discovery of DeAndre Baker, who went on to become a first-round pick here in the latest NFL draft. You know, it's it, it's something that's interesting about DeAndre Baker, and, and, and I didn't coach him this last three years, but, you know, he was in a line of about 100 defensive backs, and he came to one one session of a camp, and uh, I pulled him over to the side and asked him his name. I had never even watched tape on the guy. I didn't know who he was, but I knew right then he had a skill set. I asked him I asked him how old he was. He was 16 at the time. I said, how many offers you got? He said, zero. I said, well, you got an offer from Georgia. He said, well, I commit. All right, Shane, I thought you would appreciate this. All our Tennessee <laughs> fans, I mean, if, if nothing else, I mean, Tennessee has a guy leading the program that has an eye for talent. Uh, I, what did you make of this story? That's awesome, man. Was he there? Somebody said he was there when he got drafted. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt, I do not believe he was there, but uh, I, I'm not sure about that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, this is awesome. I mean, you know, that's that's got to make you feel good. Kid's 16 years old. Just turns around and asks him, you know, how many offers he has. He says none. He says, you do now. I mean, this is University <laughs> of Georgia. I mean, you know what I'm saying? This ain't UMass. Mm-hmm. And uh, to, to just sign him on the spot there, of course, you know, you had to do the whole recruiting process. But, I mean, that stuck with him. That stuck with Pruitt. And uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a ball coach you want, man, somebody that can eye talent. Yeah, and obviously he noted there that uh, he didn't coach him his last three years, so he's not – taking 100% credit just saying that, uh, you know, I've discovered this NFL player. But uh, it is worth noting, I thought, that, uh, you know, he can identify this this potential in a guy that he just ran across basically in a camp. And that's what Tennessee desperately needs right now because when they're going up against Alabama and Georgia and Florida occasionally in recruiting, they're not going to beat them out on many guys. They'll, they may beat them out on a, on a handful here or there, but – they need to find these diamonds in the rough to get that thing turned around. And I would wager that they probably already got a couple of those, those guys on the roster that, uh, you know, fans around the SEC may not know their name just yet, but uh, here in the, in the next season or two, they probably will. Hey, let me tell you a fun story, Mike. So I'm at a, <clears throat> I'm at a Tennessee football camp uh, my junior year. I think it was my junior year. And we're going through workouts and whatnot. And uh, guess who comes up to me? John, the Chief Chavis. Mm. He comes up to me, puts his puts puts his arm on my shoulder. He says, "Hey, boy, what's your name?" I said, "Shane Sheridan." He goes, "Hey, when we get done with these drills, I want you to go meet that guy and go up to that room." So I was like, "Oh, here it is, Mike, getting the offer, going to play <laughs> at the Big Orange, you know." And I get up there and I go in this room and uh, there's like 10 of us sitting there. And it's like, because at the time we weren't Nike, we were Adidas at Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And uh, they just asked me, they were asking a whole bunch of questions about Adidas. But since I had Adidas shoes and an Adidas shirt on, <laughs> the chief picked me out. Here, here I thought I was getting my scholarship and I was just getting asked, what can we do to improve our walking shoes? <laughs> 
Hey, well, so you sort of got recruited, at least for yeah. an interview. <laughs> Absolutely. I met Phil that year, and, and uh, you know, he was asking, he goes, where are you from? And I told him, he goes, hey, we got one, Spencer Riley, he's from uh, town right next to me, and he was the center there. And he goes, we got one of your boys right over here. So he knew where we were at. But, yeah, that's about as, that's as close as I got to a scholarship, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> A uh, final note here on the Vols, on a little bit of, obviously, a sadder note here. Eric Crosby, the former, I thought he was a defensive lineman. I, I guess he, they transitioned a little bit to the offensive line, but he announced his retirement due to medical reasons, and this is the third offensive lineman here this offseason. He joins Devontae Brooks and Tanner Antonui as uh, retired players. I don't, I don't necessarily think any of these guys were going to factor in this year, but... Uh, any concern there, Shane, that, uh, I mean, the depth at a position where it's, it's already questionable, uh, you're down three guys this offseason. Yeah, you don't you don't like to hear that. But he was having a lot of troubles with his knee, he said. And it just it, the way he worded it, he just couldn't get it right. So, I mean, it's college football. I mean, this is something I don't, you know, you don't want to ruin a man's future and his livelihood, you know, by making him do something he shouldn't do. You know, this ain't the, this ain't the 70s anymore, Mike, you know. <laughs> so uh, I'm glad they're I'm glad they're using safety first. And this is, man, I was really hoping he'd be something. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you remember when he was recruited, four-star athlete. Yeah. Uh, I think he was almost top 200. And uh, I was expecting some good things. Of course, I think he was going to be on the defense side originally, but right. yeah, just just never never got there, never played. So I don't think it's going to be a huge loss, but it's depth, man, and it's a depth that, like you said, in a position where we need it. All right, Shane, sticking in the SEC East, this is kind of a weird story here, but uh, let's go to Lexington. <laughs> Where old Gunner Hoke, we finally got a resolution there, Shane. The backup quarterback there at Kentucky, Gunner Hoke, announced, you know, he was entering the NCAA transfer portal, but also commented that, uh, you know, he was leaving his options open. Mark Stoops kind of said the same. It sounded like he was going to give the Wildcats a chance to recruit him back into the program potentially. But then he announces he's going to Ohio State, Mm. who obviously has Justin Fields. So, I mean, I, I believe he's from up there in Ohio, so maybe he just wants to get back closer to home. But uh, I don't know. I don't understand what the hell is the point of, if you're going to be the backup in Kentucky, going to Ohio State, learning a new system and under a new coach and, and being the backup to Justin Fields. Does that make any sense to you? None whatsoever, Mike. I, I'm, this one caught me way off guard. You know, you can't beat Terry Wilson, but you're going to go up to Ohio State and compete. You know what I'm saying? Right. I just – this one made no sense to me. I don't know if this was a, a coach recruit job that, you know, Gunner just didn't think through. I Now, again, I wish him the best. I hope he comes out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure there's a lot of Georgia fans that hope he gets, you know, that starting spot over Fields. But, uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, I mean, hey, maybe he uh, will. I mean, if he does, more power to him. Maybe we're, we're, we're yeah. you know, um, discrediting him a little too much. But – you gotta think that uh, the unless Fields gets hurt, I mean, I couldn't imagine the Buckeyes want Gunnar Hoke to play over Justin Fields. No, you know who doesn't like this move, Mike? Benny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I bet he, he found out. He's like, "What the hell's going on over here?" Oh, ben, hey, let me ask you. Benny's, I saw something. Benny's cashing checks for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Man, he's he's on to bigger and better. I saw a tweet today from mm-hmm. Coach, and I didn't understand it. It said Yahtzee. Is this is this something I'm not 
I don't know what's going on. Have oh, you seen it? Uh, I believe that's uh, when he tweets out when they landed a commitment. So they landed a commitment of a local quarterback <laughs> there named, I believe his name's Bo Allen. He just committed here on Monday. So uh, Kentucky Yahtzee. landed their quarterback for the 2020 cycle. Yahtzee. Have you ever played Yahtzee? I don't even know how to play Yahtzee. <laughs> I do not know. I didn't get I watched it, and then I was like, oh, maybe I need to listen to it. So I listened to it, and it's playing Eminem. I'm like, this makes no sense. I don't know <laughs> what they're doing up there. But, but uh, okay, now it makes – okay, Yahtzee, I got you. All right, Shane, let's jump to the West, where Kentucky's uh, annual cross-division rival here in Starkville. So Mississippi State. I don't know what to make of this news, Shane. I mean, it, it makes sense in one regard, but maybe not so much in another. Uh, Mississippi State looks to be the favorite to land Penn State graduate transfer quarterback Tommy Stevens, and he has scheduled an official visit to Starkville on Thursday. Uh, that's That comes uh, via Steve Wilfong of uh, 247 Sports. Uh, but uh, Mississippi State, you know, you, you think that's Keaton Thompson's team. We've mentioned that on a previous podcast. Seems like Nick Fitzgerald is is uh, fully on board with the locker room being ketons. And I don't know. What do you make of this? Obviously, Joe Moorhead's former quarterback here up at Penn State, but was never the starter. And I, you know, obviously, I don't follow Penn State football, but from what I understand, this guy waited his turn patiently. That he's going to be a senior, and now that. Uh, the Penn State quarterback is on. I believe he got drafted by the Ravens. You'd mm-hmm. think this Tommy Stevens would be the starter this year. Maybe he just got passed over. I don't know. But uh, thoughts on Penn State quarterback Tommy Stevens potentially going on to Mississippi State, and, and what does that say about uh, the coaches' thoughts on Keaton Thompson? Mike, this this tells me. I mean, it's, it's not like Arkansas. I, I think this one here makes me feel a little bit more uneasy just because – I mean, if you would ask me eight months ago who's going to be the quarterback next year, I would have told you Keaton, of course, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and it just seems like the closer we get to the season, the more uncertain they are in that backfield. So, yeah, my eyebrows are raised on this one, Mike. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, the only kind of interesting thing I was able to gleam off Tommy Stevens' career, uh, he is eighth all-time in Penn State history for uh, rushing yards from a quarterback. Oh, God. <laughs> and that's kind of interesting to me, just for the fact that he's barely played. So uh, he must be one hell of a runner. But the other two teams he's apparently visiting, Miami of Ohio and Illinois. And, I mean, if if those are his two other options with Mississippi State, I, I mean, I'm not trying to say those schools suck, but uh, – they kind of did, they kind of suck. Yeah. So I mean, it's like Mississippi State is is clearly on a on a level above above those two, and they have a quarterback returning. So I don't know. I don't even know if this guy's any good, and they risk kind of pissing off Keaton Thompson here. It seems like. Yeah, they're building a little pipeline there to hold Nittany Lion Stadium. So is this? Uh, did any of these coaches recruit him? I mean, I didn't know. Maybe if there's that tie. Well, uh, I believe Joe Moorhead, I don't know if he recruited him, but he certainly coached him for two years up there in Penn State. So, Well, if there's if there's smoke, there's fire, Mike. I think Joe wants him, and and that just tells you, I don't know, maybe that's where they're, they are right now as far as quarterbacks. I, I haven't seen any film on this guy, so I don't know if he would be an improvement, but mm-hmm. 
if he likes to run, you know, the offense sounds like it's going to be extremely slim, similar to last year. And they tr- they tried to get uh, Kelly Bryant before he picked Missouri, so I, it just doesn't seem like they're fully bought in on Ketone for some reason, and I, and I, I don't know why, because every time he's seen the field, uh, he looks like a legitimate SEC quarterback to me. You know, I really like that Garrett Schrader kid, and maybe that's what this is. Maybe they aren't sold on Keaton, and they want to give him some more time to develop and, and you know, get this grad transfer in. So, I don't know. Like I said, in the offseason, Joe only lit up over one quarterback, and it was not Keaton. Mm-hmm. And from what I understand, Schrader was basically going to go to Penn State to go play for him. So, he's had his eye on him for a while. Maybe that's that's the guy he really wants, but – I don't know. True freshman in the SEC West, that's that's going to be trouble. Yeah, you think? All right, Shane, let's jump over to Mizzou real quick. M-I-Z! Just thought this was kind of an interesting note here, but Wyoming has named their starting quarterback, and the only reason we bring that up, this guy Sean Chambers is his name. Now, I never heard of him, but Missouri opens at Wyoming. And I just wanted to ask you, Shane, how weird is it that an SEC team is opening at Wyoming. Mm. You know, I've always had a a bad feeling about Wyoming. You remember that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know what it is, but there's something about that team I just don't like. So, uh, <laughs> if you're not familiar, do some history on Philip Fulmer. Um, yes, no, I I think it's very weird to go out there. Um, is this something like a home and home that I'm unaware of? Yeah, I mean they they played Wyoming last year, and that was like uh, really? remember that was the game where I I bet on it because of the weather. It was supposed to be a downpour, and then it, <laughs> yeah. it didn't rain. The weather at all. man, that's right. <laughs> oh man, yeah, no, I do. I didn't. I don't think I watched much of that game. Now that I think about it, was it was not worth watching. I lost yeah. money on it. I'll, I'll just let yeah. you know that one. Well, they're gonna smoke them. Put your money all on Missouri this year. Okay, so you, you're not buying into Sean Chambers hype. No, hell no. No, I'm all on, I'm on the Missouri bandwagon right now, man. All right. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. All right, Shane, sticking in the SEC East, let's go down to Columbia. Where I, I just thought this was pretty interesting because it seems like some South Carolina fans may be a little lukewarm on Will Muschamp. Now, I did not realize this until recently, Shane, but Will Muschamp, his first would it be three seasons there in Columbia. He's won more games than any South Carolina coach in history in his first three. Uh, of course, South Carolina is you know, not exactly the most uh, historically relevant team, I would say. And while they've had some great coaches like Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier, those guys kind of inherited messes that they had to build up. And Steve Spurrier, or excuse me, Will Muschamp had to kind of do that the same. But mm-hmm. after so much offseason hype, they go seven and six, get smoked in the bowl game by a Virginia team that, uh, you know, on a normal day you'd think the Gamecocks would have just run all over them. And uh, Will Muschamp was kind of asked about it, you know, about how some of the fans are pissed off. He said he's a little pissed off too. So let, let's jump to here to <laughs> Will Muschamp. It's you know what, this fan base is loyal and passionate as they come, and I've been a bunch of places, and it's awesome. I want people to, to, to be pissed off at seven and six. I'm pissed. 
So I, I think it's awesome, and, and that's the type of fan base we have, and we need to continue to have that mindset moving forward. What's the strangest question you've gotten in that line? I can't tell you. <laughs> can't tell you. You say you want fans to be pissed off, and some of them are about the bowl game, it seems, yeah. in these events. It's fun. And, I, and, you know, I'm disgusted, too, and, uh, you know, I, I, the, the frustration I get is, is our, our players tried. We didn't play right. very well. Right. And there's a difference between not playing well and not playing hard. And, and I've been coaching for over 20 years, and our guys gave effort. We didn't play very well, and that's my responsibility. But to sit there and just put a blanket statement that our guys didn't care and didn't play hard is not true. All right, Shane. I mean, I, this I thought was the <laughs> comment of the week because, I mean, I, th I am 100% in agreement with him here, and uh, I kind of like that he came out and said this. Yeah, me too, man. I, I And, you know, he's a little – I don't think he's on a hot seat by no means, but no. here you got this brand new facility down there. You know, there's going to, this athletic director went out and got them boosters and got some more money and, you know, got this thing set up. They're going to start expecting a little bit more. So I'm sure coaches feel a little bit of that pressure, not only from the fans, but from, from the support staff. So uh, yeah, no, they should be pissed off because I think they, they lost a lot of games last year that they shouldn't have. Mm -hmm. But I, the only silver lining there, Shane, I think a lot of people are going to be underselling what this team is capable of. Mm -hmm. And I think they could really sneak up on some people this year because they'll kind of be counting them out. That's not to say that, uh, you know, that should be the expectations there is just to, just to kind of exceed low expectations. But, uh, you know, I did see... I believe it was Josh Kendall who was on the Paul Feinbaum show a couple of days ago and, and was saying that, uh, you know, Muschamp will get really judged in 2020, which will be his fifth year there in Columbia. And I kind of took issue with that on Twitter. got some blowback from some people. But my question was not so much that, you know, like you were saying that Will Muschamp should be on any kind of hot seat. But I just don't think, you know, a lot of people saying they have the hardest schedule in the nation. I don't really buy into those schedule ranking talks because it's all based on what teams did last year and in college football it's just never the same year to year so mm -hmm. I really think South Carolina has a chance to make some noise this year and I just don't think in the SEC particularly you're looking two years down the road five years overall and just saying hey this will be our year you know what I mean like yeah. there's people paying good money and there's so much hard work being done in Columbia uh, I can I can guarantee you Will Muschamp's not saying let's keep an eye on 2020 team. You know what I mean? Like 2019 yeah. is a year they're going to try to make some noise. Absolutely. I just, I'm in the, I'm in the tough schedule wagon, man. I just, I, I really do think that they're going to have their hands full this year. And last year was their shot to make some noise, mm -hmm. but um, you know, I don't know. It, it just, it really depends on the quarterback play. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of 50-50 games in South Carolina. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, don't be surprised if they do make some noise. But you're right. Year five's like that unwritten rule. And um, there's going to be a lot of people expecting bigger things in 2020. But how do you get there is by improving every year. Mm -hmm. And that begins this year. All right, Shane, let's jump to the SEC West. we got a few West teams to close out on here, and we'll start with Arkansas, jump down to Fayetteville. Woo pig! Well, Chad Morris was, uh, you know, making the rounds from one of these booster club functions, and he was just asked about uh, the players that made the most improvement in spring football, and he singled out Sosa Aguim, their defensive lineman here. I want to play these clips 
Uh, it, it's nothing too earth-shattering, but uh, I've got some comments on the other side that kind of make this more relevant. Who stood out to you this spring? Well, I think that there's several that have stood out that had a great spring. I think, you know, obviously Sosa making the transition from outside to inside uh, and being fully committed and bought in. I mean, one of the messages that I shared with him back in January is don't, don't come back if you're not fully bought in and moving inside. And, and he, he understood that. He was great. He met with his family and said, Coach, I'm ready. And, uh, and it paid off. I think he had an incredible spring. Cam Curls, another one that had a great spring defensively. All right, Shane. So Chad Morris building up Sosa Aguim. Of course, he is the only five-star player on this roster. You know, it's not that often that the Razorbacks sign a five-star recruit out of high school. And I think it's certainly fair to say he has not lived up to that hype. But he's not been a complete bust by any means. And if he goes into the defensive tackle and starts making some noise there, I think he could really be, you know, a solid NFL prospect. He turned down an opportunity to go to the NFL, but I, I don't think he would have been that high a pick, but he did turn it down. And my question to you, Shane, particularly these comments from Chad Morris talking about how, you know, he advised Aguim not to come back if he's not going to buy in. And we saw Ryan Pulley, the defensive back, he turned pro early. He did not get drafted. LaMichael uh, Petway, their leading receiver, was leaving the team as a graduate transfer. He announced he's going to Iowa State on Monday. Uh, I have to believe that Chad Morris probably had these conversations with these guys as well, and they they didn't leave, or they obviously didn't come back. So uh, I'm wondering if it's uh, the old adage, you know, addition by subtraction, losing some guys that uh, weren't really bought in on the Chad Morris era. It could be it, Mike. I mean, cleaning out the closet. The other thing, you know, with Arkansas, they got so many young players there coming in, and you know, these are young, impressionable minds. And if you've got a couple of bad apples in there, it could really create a, a cancer in your locker room. So um, I think that's what it is, is is coach, you know, and you've seen this with a couple other coaches in the SEC. Pruitt, for example, uh, a couple of guys, you know, having some tantrums and walking off the field. This is something that Pruitt demanded excellence, and I think Morse is doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. Because if they're going to if they're going to change the culture in Arkansas, it starts with the with the seniors and the juniors. And if they're not bought in, they don't need to be there. Now, how about this, Shane? I just thought this was kind of interesting. So Arkansas has announced they are going to play Arkansas Pine Bluff in Ooh. 2021 and 2024. <laughs> and the only reason I bring that this up, Shane, this is the first time. In 65 years, that the Razorbacks are going to play an in-state school, they've kind of they've been adamant that they refuse to do so with kind of the uh, their that attention being put on Arkansas State, who desperately wants to play Arkansas. Uh, what are your thoughts on on these teams? Because Alabama is kind of the same way that refuse to play in-state schools and. I think we see that a little bit with maybe Tennessee and Memphis not really playing in football. But uh, what are your thoughts on that? Personally, I don't like to see these bigger schools kind of dismiss these smaller schools because I think it's kind of like chicken shit where they don't want to play the small <laughs> school. But what, what are your thoughts on it? Well, I mean, here we, we're talking about Georgia and Oklahoma and Clemson, and now we're talking about <laughs> Arkansas. And, you know, I I don't know. It's – this is a weird one to me because how many in-state recruits are you really getting? It seems like if you're going to schedule a team of lesser, um, you know, eh, caliber, mm -hmm. that you're going to go somewhere that maybe there's 
a pipeline you're working on or something like that. It just, what is there really to gain from playing in-state Arkansas team? Uh, you know, so like a Memphis, I get that. You know, in fact, I would rather see Arkansas schedule Memphis mm-hmm. because I think that would be more beneficial to them going, you know, doing a maybe even a home and home, you know, with uh, well, this isn't a home and home, is it? No, these will both okay. be home games for the Razorbacks. Okay, okay perfect. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, something like that because then you got that that pipeline in Memphis you're trying to work on. So I, I just I don't see the benefit to playing these guys, but. Uh, it's something that's not been done in how many years? 65? 65. So, yeah. Yeah, let's rattle a little history. I'm all for that. <laughs> all right, Shane, let's jump on down. But to... if they lose, Mike, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, you don't want to be the second best team in Arkansas. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> let's jump on down to Baton Rouge, Shane, cool where Coach O had some comments here. And, you know, he kind of hit on, he must be listening to the podcast, Shane. He, something we were talking about recently with LSU kind of going, obviously they're more, you know, spread open passing game offense or, or so they claim. We've heard that claim before. But uh, Coach O is, is very, you know, cognizant of not wanting to lose the toughness that his LSU team has, particularly in that the line of scrimmage. So uh, let's jump to these comments from Coach O. Well, you know, we wanted to go to the spread. I mean, we're, we're in a spread offense. Uh, we're running three wide sets, four wide sets, five wide with an empty. Uh, we're running the uh, run pass options. Uh, we're running a lot of the stuff that the Saints ran with the tailback coming out, out of the backfield. So it's going to look different because it is different. And we're glad that we have it, but we're still going to have the power football game. We're still going to have the physicality that we need to be, that's in our DNA at LSU. Well, I mean, that's the DNA, right? From from the big cat drill right. to everything, it's winning in the trenches in the <laughs> SEC, and you, you of all people know that. Wait, the reaction of the players when Brady came in, showed some of the stuff with the Saints, showed what this new mm-hmm. look offense was going to look like. What what would that wide receiver core, core and Joe Burrow have to say about it? They were elated. And they came into the office with a pep in their step. Uh, Joe brings these guys confidence. You know, they're watching film of uh, Drew Brees. They're watching film of the Saints. Uh, the exactness and the details in which he coaches is outstanding. Uh, Coach Hensbring has done a tremendous job. All guys are pumped up about it. All right, Shane. So, obviously, the, the story in the offseason in Baton Rouge is the offense and what it's going to look like. Uh, and it's vital. I mean, obviously, they want to get that thing going. But at the same time, you cannot lose your physicality and toughness if you're going to do, you know, make some noise in the SEC. Yeah, but I think they're going to. Um, maybe not this year or the year after. I think this is going to be something that would cycle its way through. But, you know, if you got recruits that are watching you run five wide and, uh, you know, a, a scat bat out, out of the backfield, you know what I'm saying? I think you're going to recruit different players than you have in the past. You know, you're not going to get your Leonard Fournette to run this style of, of offense. And, you know, I just – I think eventually it will take a toll on the physical style of offense that LSU's known for. But on the flip side of the coin, that's what's cost them a lot of games. Mm-hmm. So maybe this finesse is a good thing. And, and they still got the pieces on that team right now to uh, to p- play both styles. So – it's just I, I'm interested, just you know how the recruiting process is going to take off here. If kids just want to play at LSU because they're winning, or they they're playing because it's a fun offense, or you know, I, I my I'm 
I am so eager to see this team here uh, next few years. Yeah, and I think for the Tigers, it's really got to be based upon the talent on the roster. Now, you know, they've been running this damn ground and pound that just stalls out when they face Alabama or you know, even Mississippi State. They didn't even do that well against that defense, but mm-hmm. they have all these talented receivers. They've just yeah. they essentially have no way to get them the ball. And I, th- I think obviously that's the key to this new offense is getting the ball in those guys' hands down the field and letting them do something. And if they can do that and they still have their physical linemen, tough running backs, and Joe Burrow, I mean, he's a hell of a tough guy too. I mean, he'll run the ball. He'll, he'll get his head almost knocked off and he'll just mm-hmm. keep playing. So yeah. uh, they'll take the tone, I think, from Joe Burrow. So it, it is a concern of mine that they'll lose some toughness, but uh, I don't think it's going to be drastic. No, no. All right, Shane, final team here, Tuscaloosa. Let's jump on down there. Roll Tide! Alabama, of course, and Nick Saban. You know, he was at, he was on NFL Network recently, and he had a, he was asked about uh, his draft picks and all that, which he just kind of said the same spiel he always says. But I think he really got open and honest here when talking about Tua Tagovailoa and where he kind of went off the rails at the end of the season. Now he still he still was a good player last season. At the end, obviously he, he damn near won the Heisman, but that Clemson game is stuck in a lot of people's minds. Uh, so here's Nick Saban on what his quarterback needs to work on this offseason. After the spring game, what do you need now specifically from your quarterback, from Tua, to do differently or better this year? Well, I, I think Tua played for the first seven or eight games last year. If, there is, if, if it's possible to play perfectly, uh, take care of the ball, no interceptions, uh, really high completion percentage, take what the defense gives. Um, and I think he did that, you know, flawlessly, you know, in our first seven, eight games. And, you know, then you start thinking about, well, I'm going to try to make some plays here and I'm going to throw the ball down the field. And, I'm, you know, um, and I think when you get out of that and you start to be a little more outcome oriented, worrying about the result rather than just staying focused with the process and taking what they give you, uh, I think you put yourself at risk for making some mistakes. And I think Tua did that a little bit down the stretch. And, um, I, I think he learned from that, and I think we want him to be the guy that just makes the decisions that he needs to make to make good plays down in and down out and not try to force plays down the field and make big plays. One reason I really wanted to play this clip, Shane, because I just watched, I've been kind of going through the old games here, and I just watched Alabama versus Texas A&M. You know, that was the fourth or fifth game of Alabama season last year. And Gary Danielson's there saying, you know, we met with Nick Saban this week, and he said, what I really love about Tua is he's taking what the defense is giving him. He's protecting the ball. He's not forcing it down the field. And this is basically the exact same comment, you know, that he's making months later. And, uh, you know, I think Tua's got some of that hero. He plays a little bit of hero ball. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember his first game as a starter against Louisville, so I watched that one as well. And his first touchdown pass, I mean, he did like a spin zone in the pocket. He's (laughs) he's throwing the ball up for grabs, and and he got destroyed when he's throwing it. And, I mean, it looks like, you know, a Heisman-type play, but it was really stupid if that yeah. i mean it could have been intercepted but it was a touchdown so it looks like a highlight um i i think that that's basically the and, and it's a small flaw but i think that's the biggest flaw into his game at this point is just 
Alabama does not need a, a hero at quarterback. They need someone that's just going to manage the game and, and, and like Saban says here, uh, take what the defense has given them. That's exactly right. But, I mean, there's going to be a time when you do need something like that. And typically you would see that in a Clemson game or a Georgia game where it's not where it's tight and you need a game changer. And that's what Tua can be. So I don't know. I, I'm kind of torn on these comments just because I, you know, I, I don't want to blame everything on Tua. Right. I mean, that defense was horrible. Mm-hmm. And I mean, wait, I what what did you learn, Saban? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> what, did, what did you learn in this game in your halftime adjustments? What did you see on the field that you wish you would have changed? So uh, I don't want to blame the kid because the kid hasn't changed. He did exactly what he did all season long, and the defense caught up to him, and they didn't have an answer. So uh, I, I'm I'm more on the coaching staff. So I hope that you know if he is forcing the ball. If he, you know, require more film study, tell him what he's doing wrong. They got some excellent, excellent coaches on that staff, uh, quarterback whispers that, that, you know, have put a lot of people in the league. And I, I think if the coaching can't get him right, then that's on the coaches. Mm-hmm. All right, Shane. So we got, we covered a lot of ground here on this latest episode. You got anything before we hop off here? No, that's it, Mike. This is a long one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Shane, thanks for joining me as always. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. All right, see you guys. Go Vols. That you don't think about being hardcore. I mean, I know it's the Florida-Georgia line, but or the – God damn, Mike. Let me try that one more time. Florida-Georgia line, the worst band in the world. (laughs) All right.